Okay, tell me if you've heard this story before. A company gets started around Boston, and they don't know Harvard Square from Back Bay, Somerville from Jamaica Plain. They're totally clueless. So they get a cheap office in Central Square. They put up a sign on the door, but nobody really knows who the hell they are yet, so nobody cares. And to create awareness, since clearly nothing's coming to them, they have to hit the pavement and drop by MIT, Harvard, Downtown Crossing, you name it. They're everywhere just to let people know that they're in town. That's a startup, right? It's a pretty familiar story in Boston, especially Boston technology. Well, what's absolutely fascinating about this is that this is the story of a venture capitalist here in Boston, and actually one guy you've probably even heard of. So stick around, find out who he is, how he sees Boston, and how he found himself floating in the Hudson River in New York with a bag of Doritos drifting by him. So you definitely don't want to miss that in this, our first ever episode of Tech It Forward. Hey, I'm Jay Conzo, and you're listening to the very first episode of Tech It Forward. We're the official podcast for Tug, technology underwriting the greater good. The show is going to tell some of the more amazing stories happening in the Boston tech scene and the social entrepreneurship worlds. And we've got a ton of great guests lined up, founders, investors, creative directors, executives. It's going to be great. I'm so excited and I just can't wait to host this show. And on today's episode, Origins. I think he simply just wanted to punish me. That's Jeff Fagnan. I'm Jeff Fagnan. I work uh, at Atlas Venture in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And despite being a longtime VC and one of Boston's more active investors, Jeff says it wasn't always for him. It took the coaxing of another investor to join him and learn from him, or punish him as he joked there. So what was Jeff's chosen career path at the time? If you can believe it, he wanted to be a marine biologist. Yeah, so I grew up on the coast in Oregon and spent most of my summers chasing salmon, whales, and a variety of other aquatic life. I uh, actually went to school at University of Alaska, was convinced I wanted to be a marine biologist, went up there, spent one summer on the Exxon Valdez oil spill, spent another summer working on a crab boat, just like a most dangerous catch, and ended up graduating in economics and mathematics after that summer. So how do you get into VC? It is not a straight line by any sense of imagination. He says that it all started with forest products in trading hardwoods coming from Asia and softwoods coming from the Pacific Northwest. And he thought, there's got to be a better way to go about this. I started playing around with a medium known as the internet. Uh, wow, was it nascent. Um, and just people starting to use it for email and other things. And we started out with a newsletter. And it really dawned on me that this was going to be you know, a wave of communication and connectivity. That was in 1993. From there, Jeff moved on to Nortel, a Canadian company that had its sights on disrupting players like Cisco. He went on to business school, worked with Booz Allen, and eventually was approached by a general partner. And I had no interest in venture capital. I wanted to work in startups, and I kept telling this uh, general partner, no, put me in a company, put me in a company. And he kept saying, you know, why don't you come see if you want to be an associate here? Put me in a company, put me in a company. Put me in a company, put me in a company. Put me in a company, put me in a company. But decided to finally go interview with them. I uh, was in the middle of a consulting project in London and never went back to the consulting project, never picked up my clothes from the Savoy Hotel or anything like that and started working in venture in the year 2000. And man, did he pick the right time to start a career in VC. He says it was a period of time that was like having mattresses full of money. 
He went to six IPO parties in about six months. And if you're in the Boston tech scene, just think about how many IPOs that is in such a little period of time. Jeff says he's been to about three IPO parties since then. And that's been the knock on Boston for a little while. Just not a ton of big tech companies getting built. Jeff says that there was a dark period here in Boston and that we had to emerge from that. So Jeff, what is the Boston startup scene like today? It's misunderstood. It's misunderstood from a perspective of, you know, Boston's been back on its heels for a while. We went through kind of a perfect storm, you know, post the networking, you know, telecommunication, you know, bust in 2000. And at that point, a lot of Boston really stopped investing in early stage innovation. Innovation never stopped because innovation is just a constant. It's like a stream. It's like walking or talking or oxygen. Um, what happened was that you didn't have people aggressively look at investing and really kind of pushing the younger entrepreneur or, or the next generation of innovation. And a lot of that was all around the web and web services. And so much of that actually took place in California at a time, in a time when there were younger GPs and just more energy and enthusiasm for those types of plays. But what about the people that are actually in the tech community here in Boston? I think people are watching it cautiously because what they haven't seen happen is they haven't seen big tech companies that stand alone here in town. And through that, what you get is like mafias. And what I mean by mafias is the next generation of people that are going to come out of like a Facebook, like a PayPal, and start the next generation of companies. We need that here in Boston. And so I think there's a little bit of anticipated breath waiting for that to happen. And, and I think that's fair. So you mentioned that Boston had been going through a little bit of a dark age in terms of tech startups and investing in early stage technology. What were some of the factors in 07, 08 that started to bring the city out of that dark age? So I think if you start with, you know, innovation as a constant and, you know, whether you have 5,000 computer science graduates coming out of here locally or not, you know, one thing we get stuck on is that stat. We always say, oh, well, we have these universities and we have so much talent coming out of these universities. What we don't realize is most of these kids and most of these graduates, they didn't start here. They came here. We have no claim on them. And so I think unless we give them the real opportunities or the reasons to stay, they should go elsewhere, and they're going to go elsewhere. And I think it really took in 2007 and 2008 a group of younger VCs and general partners who realized that this ecosystem was worth really kind of pushing. And they took a pick and shovel and a pay it forward approach to let's kind of give back and let's worry about making Boston worth winning versus, you know, just worry about winning Boston. And this happened at a time when a lot of the blue chip brands at the time were, to, you know, really moving, you know, to Silicon Valley or, or were working on, you know, just kind of the, you know, the airplane shuttles down to New York. And I really think it was just like a lot of things in, in life. It was a cadre of people that believed in this region were willing to put it on their back. So in a word, what the Boston entrepreneurial community really needed at the time when they were coming out of the dark ages of 08 were champions.
Up next, we're going to have a little fun with Jeff. We put him on the spot with a word association game to describe some of the origins of the companies he's been involved with. So you definitely don't want to miss that. And we'll find out what Jeff was doing floating in the Hudson River in New York City with a bag of Doritos floating gently by him. You can't make this stuff up. I'm Jay Akunzo, and you're listening to Tech It Forward. Stick around. All right, I need a quick favor. As I mentioned, the show's theme today is origins. And since this show represents part of our origin story, I need your help to make sure that we can look back on this moment as the start of something truly awesome for the Boston tech community. So I want to hear from you about how we're doing or what we should do. You can tweet about the show using the hashtag TechItForward, and forward is abbreviated FWD. So that's the hashtag TechItForward. You can contact me directly on Twitter too. I'm at JZO, that's J-A-Y underscore Z-O. And finally, if you have an idea for who should be a guest or what we should cover on the show, would love to hear from you. You can email me directly, jay at nextviewventures.com. Okay, now here's more with Jeff Fagnan. So Jeff, you've been involved with a long list of origins for various organizations, whether as a founder, an investor, an advisor. And I'm guessing that no two origins are probably identical. True. Uh, and since you've been involved in so many, I thought what we would do is play a little bit of a game. So what I'm going to do is I'll name one of the organizations you've been involved with from the ground floor, and you tell me and our listeners a word or a phrase that pops to mind that best describes not the company, but the origin story and how it got off the ground. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay, so I might say something like X company, and you'd say, that was a wild ride. All right, Jeff Fagnan, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, so let's start with Seed Capital Partners. Fun. I mean, Seed Capital was all around kind of disrupting this ecosystem of a bunch of blue chip dollars. And if you thought about Babic, Nive, Alex Finkelstein, and myself, we we're about the most unconventional three people. Um, matter of fact, it took me months just to get Nive to wear shoes that matched. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, well, Babic, Nive, of course, better known to a lot of people as the founder of AngelList. So why don't we go there next? AngelList. Magical. I mean, I think what AngelList started to do was just make sure that every entrepreneur that wanted to get funding could get funding or at least have an attempt at it. And I mean, today, you know, 150,000 company profiles, 30,000 accredited investors, you know, 2,500 um, financings have happened on the platform. They're matching 5,000 developer, engineers, product people, you know, um, every single week. Um, it, it's just a magical marketplace. And we have, you know, you know, very, very big aspirations for that one. Okay. Here's one that some people might not know. So maybe it takes some explaining on your part, but coffee for kids, coffee for kids. Um, first, the phrase that you would, that comes to mind when you hear that origin story. Serendipitous. I mean, coffee for kids started from the perspective of, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I need coffee. If you could take every vice away, I would need coffee and red wine still. And when I went to University of Rochester, the coffee sucked. I mean, it was so bad. And, you know, we had this thought around being able to start a coffee shop business and import beans and actually, you know, do all this. And there was one thing that was standing in our way, which was Aramark had the food service contract for the entire university. And so we sat there and we couldn't figure out a way to kind of thwart them. So we actually ran a story in the local paper, which was we were going to start a coffee shop business serving students, and we we're going to take all proceeds and give them to local children's organizations, you know, everything from, you know, kids camps to, you know, 
cancer research for kids. And we figured then if Aramark wanted to stop us, they'd look like real son of a bitches. So that was really something that we set out to do in that way. And through that, we delivered an amazing coffee experience for the university. Okay, how about Boston-based Bit9? Hard. You know, we started that, incubated in my office in 2004. Uh, I think the company will go public in 2015. Just an amazing management team, but just, you know, and a reminder that it takes 10 years to build an overnight success. Okay, this one's probably going to be a listener favorite. So Streetwise Media, which is better known locally as the parent company to Boston O. High energy. I mean, I, I think that if I think about Chase and the first time he came in here, he had the baseball cap on sideways, sideways, and he looked at me and he said, two words, media empire. And I was like, what the hell is he talking about? But it took that kind of swagger and just a remarkable, about a, a remarkable amount of energy uh, for these guys to accomplish what they have. And they've been such wonderful partners, I think, for all the entrepreneurs, all the people in this ecosystem, and uh, hats off to them. Pun intended? Totally. Okay, we'll keep that in then. So a couple of years back, you did an Ironman. You told me before the show, check off the list, never doing it again. What the hell was that like? Yeah, wow, that was a grind. It was one of these experiences that, you know, you only need to go through one time. The swim in the Hudson was terrible, just gross. Um, but the current pushed you along. I actually think I got, you know, a, a bag of Doritos floated by me. The current was so strong. Um, you know, had two flat tires on a bike. And ended up when finished the run, it was about 11 hours and 20 minutes. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, this was not about endurance. This was just all about problem solving and just perseverance. And I walked out, went and rested at the hotel, came back and watched the rest of the athletes finish up into the 18th hour. And I uh, had tears kind of streaming down my face just because it is such a big goal for so many people. And I was glad to do one, do not need to do another. Yep. That's great. I'm not going to do one ever just to let you know. Never. <laughs> You have two kids, Zach and Zoe. Yep. If you can think back to raising each of them differently, let's start with Zach. So Zach's the youngest. Um, okay. Zach and his sister could not be more different. Uh, Zoe is focused. She's studious. She kind of, you know, walks a straight line. And Zach is just a hurricane, you know, and, and anything he touches ends up in a mess. Um, everything comes easy to Zach and, and Zoe works very hard at everything. So it'll be very interesting to watch, you know, those two as they grow up, they're close friends, they're great kids. Um, you know, the most important thing I always say is, you know, I, I don't care if you're good at something, I, whether it's school or sports or anything, I just want you to be a kind person. And they're both very kind people. Cool. Fair to say the single or the, the two best and most important origin stories of your life. Oh, without question. Okay, in an episode about origins, I don't think there's a better place we could possibly end. So thanks a lot, Jeff. Agreed. Thanks. Special thanks to Jeff Fagnan, partner at Atlas Venture. Some of the guitar music you heard today was from Boston's own Kangaroalian. They're great. I highly recommend checking them out. You can go to kangaroalian.com. It's like kangaroo and alien. Be sure to tweet us with the hashtag TechItForward. That's TechItFWD. TechItForward is the official podcast of Tug, technology underwriting the greater good. For more, go to Tug.org. I also have to thank David Brown, executive director of Tug, for asking me to host this show. We've got plenty more planned for you each month, telling the stories of tech and social entrepreneurs all around Boston. I'm Jay Akunzo of Next View Ventures. Thanks for listening. <laughs>